Praise God. Matthew chapter 5. Glory to God. Big weekend of ministry coming up. Excited about it. Believing for anointing and revelation and a wonderful atmosphere. And choir's going to be ministering. We're going to have a full house. And praise God. I'm going to magnify Jesus and have a good time doing it. Amen. And so we hope that, uh, that you're coming uh, and that you're inviting people to come. Praise God. Amen. Two biggest days in the church world in the United States in terms of attendance, you know it, right, is Christmas and Easter. So we got to minister to those C&E Christians. Because for some of them, you know, we might not see them for a few months. But uh, uh, anyway, Matthew chapter 5. Uh, Father, we come before you today again humble and hungry. Humble and hungry to grow, to develop, to become all that you have intended us to be. And Father, we're reaching. We're reaching for more. We're we're not satisfied with where we are. God, may every person be like Wigglesworth when he said, the only thing I'm satisfied with in my life is the level of dissatisfaction I have right now with where I am. Father, none of us have attained... And yet, uh, God, we know, thankfully, we're not where we used to be. But we just so thank you for words that would nourish us tonight. And the Holy Ghost and His presence and His movement and His wonderful gifts that would move us forward even further tonight in uh, reaching to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. We thank you, Father, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking now for a number of weeks in the midweek service about uh, revival and different aspects of revival. And um, uh, we have been uh, talking for a few weeks now about uh, the thing, one of the things. It's not the only thing, but one of the major things that is preventing God's power and might and His Spirit from manifesting itself in signs and wonders and outpourings of the Spirit. And, uh, you know, in my Sunday school class right now, or it's the church's Sunday school class, I'm just teaching it right now, we've been talking about the end times and teaching on the end times. And if you study your Bible carefully, you know two things must happen, not before the rapture, but before, you know, the whole age wraps up, really before uh, the, the church is going to get caught away, and that is the rapture. I don't want to get to take you down this trail too much, but there's two major things that must happen. Uh, before this age fully winds up. And that is that this gospel must be preached to every ethnic group. It's not nation. That word nation in the Greek is ethnic group, every kind of people group around the world. And Jesus said, then the end will come. But then in Joel, it talks about that there must come in the last days. Peter quoted it in Acts chapter 2, right? That in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. There must be a major outpouring of the Holy Ghost, amen, that causes the harvest of the earth, the latter rain in the natural, helps to maximize those yields right right before harvest time. And that's what it is in the Spirit. There's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost like this world has never seen. And I, I just believe with all of my heart that we are the generation. Amen. We are the generation that... God would use. Now, that doesn't mean 
Now, let's say I'm right about that. That doesn't mean that it has to happen. No, we have to do our part. And if we don't, God will wait. He's exceedingly patient. He doesn't get in a hurry. And He will cause another generation to rise up. But why wait? Amen, when we can have it now. And so, so much of How come we're not seeing more miracles? How come we're not seeing, you know, uh, these things that have been long prophesied about? Well, it's not on God's side. It's on man's side. It's on the church's side. And so that's what we're talking about. What can we do? And I, I hope that... I hope that you just don't feel like, oh, I got my toes stepped on. That's Well, if you, if you need them stepped on, that's okay. But I really hope that you're making some, some changes, beginning to, to evaluate some things and, and make some changes in your own life because it's you do and you do and we do, right? Then we're, that means we're all changing. And the more we do, that means the more we're qualified for God to do more. And I'm hungry for that. And I'm hungry for that. And as you know, the last several weeks we've been talking about sin. The problem of sin, the problem of compromise, right? And endeavoring to fix that. So last week I talked to you a little bit about kicking the sin habit. Amen? Uh, you know, some things, you know, I don't know of any person here looking around that is just dogged in their heart, I want to sin, and it's going to be that way. I don't know why you'd be here on a Wednesday night. Amen? And yet at the same time, there's probably many of us that have some major things that we stumble over again and again and again and again. Whether it's anger, whether it's lust, whether it's uh, a, a lack of love in our family, in our relationships, disobedience to God in some area, a refusal to humble yourself to His will, to His plan, whatever it may be, uh, that's not only costing you, but it's costing everyone you're associated with. Amen. Uh, in what God's going to be able to do in our midst. Here in uh, uh, Matthew 5, verse 48, uh, there is this scripture and this statement, this recorded word from Jesus. And uh, it's one of those whopper verses. So take you a nice deep breath before you let your eyes look on it. Amen. Look at what Jesus said. Be perfect. <laughs> is that what he said? Yeah, I didn't read a couple of words, right? But he said, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. How perfect are we supposed to be? As perfect as you can get. As perfect as the Father. Now, I don't know about you and where you sit, but from where I stand, that's a kind of a daunting word. And if you meditate on it, you'll find out quickly, it'll be your lifelong assignment. It, I, you're probably not quite to where the Apostle Paul was in his spiritual development when he wrote that I strive for perfection. Yet I have not attained. I would not say that I have attained. And if Paul, right, would not have said about himself that he had attained, I'm certainly not going to say it, and I hope you wouldn't. Amen. And uh, we have been taught, rightly so, that the word perfect often means, uh, in the New Testament, mature. And it does mean that. 
But in doing some further study on this word and other words where the English translated word is perfect, I like this definition. Uh, You'll find that it means a completeness of integrity and moral character. A completeness of moral character and integrity. Amen. And so this is what uh, Jesus is saying. I want your character, your integrity to be completely developed. Where it's got no flaws, it's got no vulnerabilities, no cracks in it. That you are a complete individual in your character and in your integrity. Amen? (laughs) Now, I read a book years ago, and it's called... Uh, the Price of God's Miracle Working Power by A.A. A. Allen. It's not a real thick book, but it's really powerful, very challenging if you ever decide to read it. And A.A. A. Allen, of course, you might have known of him. He was one of the great ministers in the healing revival of the late 40s and early 50s. And he was mightily used of God. But early on in his preaching ministry, uh, he, he didn't want to just preach a word gospel. You're not supposed to just preach a word gospel. It's supposed to be some supernatural behind it, right? Some signs and some wonders. And he didn't have miracle-working power in his ministry. And so he had his wife lock him into a closet off the kitchen. And he told him, don't let me out of here until God has told me why I don't have power in my ministry. And it was a long time. It was not an hour or two. Or ten. But he sought God earnestly. And in there God said, "All right, get you a piece of paper, which he had, and a pen. And God made him a list. And the list, I think, had 13 things on it. Amen. And God said to him, when you make enough progress in, all, in every area on this list, you'll have power in your ministry. You'll have power. You'll have signs and wonders in your ministry. And so he set out to do it. And eventually he crossed that line and signs, wonders, and miracles. And so this is another illustration to show my point. Amen? There's a reason why our lives aren't more marked by the tangible presence of God, the evidence of His blessing, and His power in our lives. And we ought to not be okay not having the fullness of God's power in our life. Not just as ministers, amen, but as lay people too. You have a part in the anointing of God. Amen? And we're not supposed to be laying empty hands on empty heads and nothing happening. Amen? And uh, so he got serious about that. And one of the items, I think number five or six on his list was, God told him in prayer, be ye perfect. (laughs) And so I have some quotes here from A.A. Allen. Is that all right? Out of this book. And he says, perfection is the goal that Christ has set for every Christian. Perfection is the goal that Christ has set for every Christian. And so you have to know that. Amen. And are you pursuing that? In your life. Well, Brett, you're going to have to help me, you and Sarah and somebody, because, you know, it's getting real quiet in here already. And we're just on the first little line of this message. (laughs) 
Hallelujah. And uh, so here's another one. No Christian worthy of the name will be satisfied to be less than perfect. No Christian should make excuse for his imperfections. They should recognize them as a failure to keep the command of Christ and to strive earnestly to come to the goal of perfection. Isn't that good? No Christian is worthy of the name who is satisfied to be less than perfect. No Christian should make an excuse for their own imperfection. Well, that's just how I was raised. Well, that's no excuse. Yeah. Well, I didn't come from a good family. Well, you're in a good family now. Amen. And that's not an excuse. Amen. Every believer should recognize their failure to keep the command of Christ and to strive earnestly to come to the goal of perfection. Amen. You know, in the Old Testament, God called two men perfect. Did you know that? You get a free Starbucks gift card if you can name one of them. I don't think he not. Job, he called perfect. He told Satan, have you considered my servant Job who is perfect? And what's that mean? You've got to understand that from God's mind, it doesn't mean he's without flaw. It just means his character is complete. He's, he's a man of full character and full integrity. Amen? And see, God's going to judge that on his level. And A.A. Allen said something in his book that really blessed me. He said, uh, man is harder on himself than God is many times. That man is harder on himself than God is many times. You see, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, a, something to think about here. There, you know, you could think about sin in some different ways, right? There are sins of the flesh. <laughs> I just, I was hungry for it and I ate it. I ate too many of them. Sins of the flesh. Uh, you know, <laughs> I was hot to trot and I, 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 I lusted. You know, sin, I'm not saying it's right, but there are sins of the flesh. Then there are sins of the head. There are sins of the head. And what's that mean? You didn't know any better. You, you just thought wrong. Right? You ever done some things and you realize, I just wasn't thinking right. What's the answer for that? Renew your mind. Right? The more you renew your mind on the Word, the less you'll commit sins of the head. But then there are sins of the heart. And I'll just tell you, that it's those sins of the heart that God views as most egregious and most serious. And you'll find that He will judge those more severely and more swiftly than any of the other two. Right? So some people think, oh my God, I mean, they're going to blow hell wide open because they smoked a cigarette or said a bad word. God, you know, that's not good, but those are sins of the flesh. Right? Those are sins of the flesh. And the sins of the head. You know, I've made mistakes before. I didn't mean to make them. Have you been there? I didn't mean to make them. I didn't think right about that situation. Maybe because I didn't think right. I made a wrong decision. Had I had it to do over, knowing what I know now, (laughs) I wouldn't have done it like that. Amen? Well, that's a sin of the head. But see, those sins of the heart. Those sins of the heart are coming from the inner core of your being. And... uh, 
Those are, those are the most serious, right? So God can call uh, a, a brand new baby Christian perfect in that season based on what they know, based on their development, right? I mean, a little baby comes out. It can't play basketball, can't dribble, it can't walk, it can't feed itself. But that doesn't mean it. at that level, at that moment, that it's not perfect. For where it is right then, it's perfect. Now, if that baby's in the same condition five years from now, it won't be perfect anymore. Does that make sense? Yes, God called Noah perfect in his generation. And you know, the first thing he did after he got off the boat was got drunk. He had sin of the flesh. And yet God called him perfect in his generation. I don't know if I, I hope I'm not confusing you. Amen. I tell you what, I, I'm not okay. I'm, I'm working on the flesh and renewing my mind. But I tell you what, in so, what's kept me on course over many years now in serving God, walking with God, is that my heart's right. My heart's right. Is your heart right? Only you and God can really judge. I mean, sometimes I can know too, but you know, is your heart right? Amen. Praise God. And I tell you what, uh, that's what God wants the most out of us, is a heart that's right. A heart that's right. And a heart that wants to do better. And He's going after it. Amen. And uh, so anyway, so in the book of Job, A.A. Allen points out, God Himself gave His own definition of human perfection. Are you ready? God told Satan that Job was perfect. And here's why he was perfect. He feared God and he eschewed evil. God gave you his definition of a perfect human being. Get that? What is a perfect human being in God's mind? Someone who has honor for him. That's what the word fear means. It means to have a holy awe, a regard, a respect, and honor for God. Amen. And you eschew evil. Now, I know you probably didn't use the word eschew today. Right? That word eschew means to shun and avoid. So a person that honors God, loves God, has a respect for God, and it's motivating his actions and his thoughts and his decisions. Amen. And that same person shuns evil and avoids evil is perfect in God's sight, according to that verse. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So here again, Noah was declared perfect in his generation. Even under the law, perfection was possible. Now you think about if Noah could be perfect, if Job could be perfect. Amen. If, if Old Testament saints could be perfect in God's sight under the law, how much more today in the light of all the advantages that we have, being born again, having the life of God, the nature of God, the covenant of God. Amen. The Holy Ghost. The fruits of the Spirit. The Word of God. The, the, come on. The blood of Jesus. How much more quickly should we walk in this perfection? Amen. Amen. Praise God. So under the law, it was commanded to all the Hebrews. In Deuteronomy 18, 13, it says, You shall be perfect with the Lord your God. You see, it's popular today for preachers to say that we have to sin. We have to sin. 
It's not possible for us not to sin. That's not scriptural. In John, don't turn there, but in John chapter 8, verse 11, Brother Kevin, Jesus told a man, go and sin no more. Is Jesus putting a standard on him that he can't, he could never live to or attain to? That would be, that would make him unjust. That would make him unfair. That would make him unrighteous. But he told that man, you leave my presence and you go and sin no more. Amen. Do you remember the woman that Jesus uh, was brought that had, was commi- had committed adultery and was caught in the very act and brought, you know, in a, such an awkward, didn't even have any clothes on. They threw her in the presence of Jesus and said, the law says that such a one should be stoned. What do you say? And of course, he was led by God and got her out of that by saying, okay, anyone here that's without sin, you can go ahead and throw the stone first. Well, that ended that. Isn't that right? That ended that. When, uh, you know, then he, in, he, dis, he had a moment with her. And he said, well, daughter, where are your accusers? It, does no one condemn you? Does anyone condemn you? They said, none, Lord. And he said, now listen, here's the heart of our God. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. See, that's our Father. Jesus said to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So you blew it in a big way. I mean a big, big way. And, and Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. But that's not all he said. He said what? He said, go and sin no more. Right? Go and sin no more. So that's the title of my message to you tonight. You leave here tonight and go and sin no more. <laughs> Be ye perfect as your Father is perfect. Now, what are the means that God has given us by which we can be made more perfect than we are? Well, number one, again, I'm trying to save time by not turning to all these verses. But I actually think let's turn to this one. Let's go to 2 Timothy. Y'all all right? See, the things we're... Don't, don't lose sight of what we're talking about. We're talking about... Doing what's necessary to have power with God. I want to have power with God. Amen? Now, whether I feel it or not, I'm not interested in that. But when I lay my hands on a sick head, I I want power. I mean, divine power to flow right out of this earthen vessel of clay into that body and drive out that sickness, that physical infirmity. I don't care what it is, how severe. Amen. And that's what God wants. But He must have a holy vessel. Praise God for this end time anointing to flow through. So in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for what? For teaching, that's the word doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be Yours says complete, mine says perfect. Complete in character. Complete in their integrity. As God would define it, not as the world would define it. You understand that, right? Amen. Amen. Notice verse 17 says, The man of God 
will be made perfect and thoroughly furnished unto every good work. By what, by what method? By feeding on the Word. Listen, the Word of God will change you. If you will put down your romance novel or your cell phone and pull up the pages of the Scripture, the Word of God is alive. It is alive. Amen. It is a living thing. And it will transform your nature. It will transform your character. And Peter said, believer, desire it. Stir up and cultivate a desire for the Bible. Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. You need to have a healthy appetite for the Word of God. I don't know about you, but I did not fast today. I ate. When I get home tonight, I'm going to eat. Amen? And I don't miss meals. And just because I ate yesterday does not mean I'm not going to eat again today. And because I eat today, guess what? I'm going to eat again tomorrow. Amen? Well, you might have read your Bible yesterday, but have you read it today? Maybe you read your Bible today, but you're going to need it more tomorrow. The Word of God is the means by which we come into a greater measure of Christ-like perfection. And you will not get there without it. Hello. Now flip back to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 and let me give you another vital method that God has instituted by which we can be made perfect. Y'all all right? You're not mad at me, are you? I'm not mad at you either. I love you. God loves you. We're going someplace. I'm telling you, we're going somewhere. I am excited about it. You don't want to jump off the bus now. Praise God. It's an exciting time for the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 says, And He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now why did He do it? For the perfecting of the saints. So here's another means by which God has given through which you and I can be made perfect. And that is through the ministry gifts. Amen. The ministry gifts have been set in the church by the Lord Jesus Christ to perfect you. To chisel away at you. Right? To be an instrument in the hands of the husbandman. To prune off the dead and lifeless branches that are on your tree. Amen. To challenge you. To confront you. To rebuke you. To correct you. Now, I know those are not popular things, but my wife just quoted to me that scripture, I think, where the, where the instruction of the man of God to the pastor was rebuke, reprove, and exhort. So two-thirds of Timothy's ministry to the people in the Word was to be reproving and rebuking and throwing a little bit of courage, encouragement along the way. Now, why do people need Two-thirds correction and one-third encouragement. Because it's not what we're doing right right now that's holding back what God has for us next. 
It's what we're doing wrong. Amen. And this culture out there, and this, this, this world out there, needs to have this mentality broken off of them that nobody's going to correct me. Nobody's going nobody's to talk to me. Nobody's going to climb up in my grill. Nobody's going to you know, uh, tell me I'm doing something that's wrong. No, I want to be told. Now, some people give me lip service, they do, and then when I do, finally they get mad at me and they storm out and whatever, and we don't see them for months, if ever. So I'm a little wary when some people come up to me now and they say, now, Pastor, I tell you what, I want you to correct me. You see something wrong in my life, I'm asking you to speak to me about it. (laughs) I'll just be led by the Spirit in that. I appreciate the heart, I really do. I appreciate the sentiment. You know, but Peter came up to Jesus one day and said, I don't care what other people do, but no, I'm never going to leave you. If I have to die with you right here in Jerusalem, I will. And the first opportunity he had to blow that, he did. He blew it big time. And he tripled down on it, didn't he? Cussed a little girl out. Didn't he? Just a few hours from telling Jesus he will, he's ready to go down and take a sword. And a little girl trips him up. See, his character wasn't really complete yet at that point. But you know, later on, Hello? He got there. And I don't care how messed up you might be in your character right now. If you will let the Word of God, amen, and the messages that the, and the ministry of the fivefold offices bring you, and just eat it, not just the cheesecake we serve, but the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts and the asparagus, right? I mean, eat that too. Come on, and be glad about it. Then this time next year, you will not be the same. And you won't have the same problems. Amen. You know, the only way that a human being is going to be improved is to be thrust there. You know, right? They're going to have to be motivated. You know, for uh, the first two years of my high school basketball career, if you want to call it that, I was a smart aleck. I'm going to be nice about it. And uh, I was a goof off. And because I didn't have a chance of playing. We had really good juniors and seniors. I, I didn't have a chance of playing. And I, to me, it's just a good time and fun on the bus and a reason to get out of school. And, you know, but after my sophomore year, I, I just, I decided that I wanted to reach my potential in basketball, whatever that was. I wanted to reach my full potential. And that whole summer I got serious. And I went to my basketball coach, uh, Coach A.J. Brewer. And, you know, see, you know, some of these people, some of them stop just pastors all the time, but there are people in your life, right, that... You know, coaches or a school teacher or a minister, somebody, you know, that took an interest in you. And I mean, I made fun of him and the way he talked. And, uh, you know, one time he, <laughs> we were in the locker room at halftime and we were down big. And I mean, coach was trying to say something to us. And he said, you all know, boys, that the only way we're going to win this game is to score more points. Well, you know, the smart guy I was wanted to really, 
And I mean, I was in the classroom, on the court. I was just a pain. But I went to him one day. And I asked him to forgive me. And I said, listen, I, 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 from here on, I will take it. I, don't be easy on me. I, if I need a good swift kick in the butt, and that's you know, what I said, I want you to give it to me. Amen. And you know, my attitude just changed. And I tell you what, he did. He did. I mean, I hope he doesn't get in trouble for this, but I mean, back then in the day, you could actually do some stuff. But I mean, we were one of the best free throw shooting teams around. But he would lock the gym, no girls, lock the gym. And we'd have to shoot free throws. And if we didn't make like eight out of ten of them, every time we missed one, we had to take an item of our uniform off. And there were guys on the, I don't know if we want this on live stream, but there were guys on the free throw line in their birthday suits with everybody there watching. And so we got pretty good about making free throws under pressure. Now, I could have got PC and quit. I could have got mad every time he yelled at me and screamed at me and got in my face and commanded me to stay after and run bleachers, right? Or whatever it is he put on me. But I reached my potential. Amen. I reached my potential in that sport because I changed my attitude and I got glad about correction. Some of you need to change your attitudes. Amen. I'm looking over here. And get glad about correction. So you can start to begin to reach your full potential in Christ. And the measure of the reality of whether or not you are that person, it's not by you nodding your head and saying amen at me saying that. It's when and if that moment comes where I climb up in your business, either from here or in a private setting. And a lot of people, they just pick up their Jewish skirt and they just leave. They can't take it. They don't want to grow. You know where they go? Most of the time they don't go anywhere. And if they go anywhere, they join the thumb-sucking church. Where they go, where they're not going to be talked to like that. But those people will never have power with God. They will never have power with God. And if you want power with God, then you need to get with God's program. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm trying to help you. Here's another quote from, it's a message of quotes from A.A. Allen. He said, if Satan can get you to leave him a place to work from in your life, he can sabotage every effort you make for God and rob you of the power that you have longed for. The work God has given you will go undone. The sick will not be healed. The captives will not be set free. Should you attempt to cast out demons, they will laugh in your face saying, you let us remain in your life, yet you want to cast us out of others? There's another quote. Demons only flee a Christ-filled life. Demons only flee from a Christ-filled life. Amen. 
You know why I believe many Christians are not healed? It's because they want to lay hold of a divine power that would heal them while at the same time holding on to some sin in their soul. You know, I know when you say 1 Peter 2.24, we think the last phrase. By His stripes, you, we are healed. But there's a lot of words that come before that. It says, for, uh, oh, how's it go? If I can get it started, it'll roll out of me. For in His own body, He bore in Himself our sins. That we, being dead to sins, might live under righteousness by whose stripes we're healed. So if we don't reckon our lives dead to sin and live for righteousness, what makes you think by His stripes you're going to be healed? He's not going to heal you so you can keep on sinning. He's not going to strengthen your body so you can continue in disobedience. That's why if you want to live throughout your golden years, your old age, free of sickness, free of disease, free of pain, you're going to have to live close to God and you're going to have to do the will of God. And if you don't, you can confess by His stripes you're healed until you are blue in the face. It's not coming. (laughs) Oh, we're having fun again tonight. Praise the Lord. Uh, Here again, last quote I think from A.A. Allen. Uh, There is no way to have power with God without holiness. There is no way to have power with God without holiness. What is the definition of holiness? Pleasing God in all things at all times. That's your definition. Pleasing God in all things at all times. Amen? Now, this is going to come at the right moment. He says, uh, hey, Alan, I, I brought the whole copy out of his book. He says, do not be discouraged. Right? Amen. So I've been rebuking and, you know, whatever the other R word is, reproving. Here comes your dose of encouragement. Yeah. Do not be discouraged because you've not attained unto perfection. There is an ultimate perfection which will only be reached when we see Jesus face to face at His coming. There is a growth in grace, growing toward perfection, which must continue so long as we remain in the flesh. Our perfection may be likened to the fruit on a tree. From the time the bud appears, the apple on the inside, uh, though very tiny, can be perfect. It is not taken on the size or the color nor the flavor, which it eventually will have, but nevertheless, in its present state, it is perfect. As it is nourished and fed and protected, from frost and disease, and as the sun and the rain touch it, and the heat and the cold, it grows into a perfect little green apple. And finally, the large, beautiful, rich, full, ripe fruit. So see, the whole thing is not about just arriving in a moment. But it's about beginning and staying on a journey of constant growth and development. Amen? And not being, uh, give me the word, Father, not being down on yourself while the process is going on. At the same time, not excusing yourself, right, from the need to stay after it and make progress. 
You know, for years off and on, I found myself telling believers that if you could get up today or tomorrow and say, I'm at least a fraction more like Jesus today than I was yesterday, then you're on the right track. Amen. Of course, some people way backed up and they need to fix that. Amen. Praise God. Ooh, Jesus. I don't know whether to launch out anything else or let you go home on this. <laughs> Amen. Let's, let's go one place. we got time. Let's go to one place. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Hallelujah. And so remember, we were talking about how to kick the sin habit. And the first thing I told you was, put off the old man and put on the new man. In other words, you have to get up every day and keep the old man dead. Right? In other words, you're not that person that came to the cross and died. You are a new man in Christ. You are a new woman in Christ. Amen? And Ephesians and Colossians tell us to put on the new man. Well, I don't have time to re-preach all that, but what does that simply mean? It means get up and put in your mouth and put on the mind, I'm born again. I have the life of God. I'm a new person in Christ. I'm a new creature in Christ. And then you need to begin to call to mind and to constantly acknowledge and confess who you are in Him. And the more you affirm it and the more you talk it and the more you think it, the more you'll live it. Amen. Say, I'm the righteousness of God. And you say that over and you're going to find yourself living righteous. It's not just about resisting doing the wrong thing. No, it's about put on that new man. And you have to discover who the new man is. And you do that in the Bible, in the New Testament. Amen. I'm going to give you, there was other things I gave you. I want to skip up and talk about one more tonight. Um, praise God before we leave. And that is to kick the sin habit, you have to come out. You have to come out. In 1 Corinthians 15, 33 in the Amplified Translation, Paul says, Do not be so deceived and misled. Evil companionships communion and associations corrupt and deprave good manners and morals and character. Every Christian, amen, unless, you're, unless you were the only one unsaved in your family and social network, you're the only holdout. When you get saved, I think Brother Paul, maybe many of you could testify to this fact. There needs to be major change in your social life. When I got born, when I came out of that frat party experience and I took God by the hand, everyone in my life except her, well, I hadn't met her yet, everyone in my life was wrong. All the ones I called buddies were wrong for me. And I was wrong for them at that time. Everybody I knew was wrong. And so there is this urgent thing right up front for a new believer. Come out. You must come out. And you must be willing to sever those old friendships and associations and that social network of sin and darkness. And you must know if you don't, 
you will get sucked back in and corrupted. You will be corrupted. The Bible is true. I don't care what you think about it. I don't care how strong you think you are. And I hear, I hear this sometimes. Oh, now, they may not be right. And they may not be Christians, but they're a good guy. They give you the shirt off their back. Well, what is that anyway? Do they take you drinking? Do they take you partying? Do they take you sinning? Oh, yeah. Well, psst. get the shirt and leave. You know what I mean? People will just want, oh, they're a good guy. No, they're really not. They're not a good girl. When they go to the bar and they want to do hookups or whatever, they want to steal, they want to lie, they want to shoplift, they, whatever it is, no. Or they just don't want to love God and they don't want to serve God and they sure don't want to read the Bible and they don't want to pray and they don't want to do anything godly. Then they're not good. And you must flush them. Get rid of them. Drop them like a bad habit. Let me read this to you again. Don't be so deceived. What's the deception? I can be a good Christian and still have these friends. You can't. You're deceived. But pastor, I won't have any friends. That's right, for a while. And I went through it, a year's worth. And you know what I, I did during that year? I read my Bible a lot. I learned to hear the voice of God for myself. I got acquainted with God the Father, me and Him. And over time, God brought me godly friends, Christian friends. Amen. Amen. Will I want to help them? God will send someone else. You're not the one, sweetie. You're not the one. I, I have lived the Christian life in this planet, in front of my old friends. None of them that I know of have made any real significant changes towards God that I can tell anything about. One started going to church and actually called me, and I appreciate it. And he's a, a praise and worship leader at his church, but he gets drunk every Sunday, every week. I mean, just drinks alcohol all the time. And thinks that's okay. And I'm not trying to change it. That's not my job. Yeah, y'all have been in this life enough. You shouldn't have a lot of sinner friends. And if you do, my, I'm scratching my head about you. Amen. Evil companionships, communion, and associations, what did they do? They corrupt... And they deprave good manners and morals and character. You're not going to get around that verse. You're not going to be the exception. So you have to understand, it is impossible to have the right life with the wrong friends. <laughs> Some of the things... People have stumbled into over the years of my ministry. I don't get. You know, some of these people in Paducah, and evidently, if you want a hit of something, it's easy to get. I mean, it's just easy to get. You want a little hit, you want a little dope, you want a little... But I'm telling you, I would have to search far. I have no idea. I don't know 
I don't know where I would go. You want to know why? I don't hang around with that sort. I don't have anybody in my contact list that might, you know, give me a little hookup. I have no idea. I don't have any friends who are not absolutely in love with Jesus Christ. And so I, I never really find myself in situations where I'm tempted to cheat on my wife. I don't know what that is. Well, that sounds pretty boring. No, it's really not. It's pretty exciting. Amen. To not have the hell that many people have trying to be the exception to this rule. Every child of God must come out from among them if they want the anointing, if they want to be right. You're going to have to have enough faith in God to believe Him to bring you into a new social life. And I don't have time to apply this to single people in marriage, but I need to again at some point soon. Because people are so hot to trot. And I understand what it means to be hot to trot. Dr. Dufresne said, if you don't have the urge to merge, you're not normal. That's what he said. I'm not trying to be vulgar. We got kids here. I'm not, I'm not trying to. Amen. Praise God. Most people want to be married at some point. Amen. But listen, you don't want the hell. And I, say, I don't say that to be vulgar either. I mean, that's what you have to call it. When you settle for some person who says they're a Christian, but my God, they're not. By any observation, they are not. Let's finish in this verse here, Acts 2, and that's my last verse. Y'all are, y'all are doing good. <laughs> praise God. Yeah, praise God. Now I know many of us, we're walking in this. And listen, I tell you what, you live for God, it's going to be exciting. I, I'm not bored. I, I wish I could be bored for a little while. That's what they call vacation. Amen. But see, my life, my wife and our whole family, we're on assignment. Amen. And listen, you're, God's got an assignment for your life too. Praise God. And it's worth living for. Amen. It is worth pursuing. I know it's, you're finding Acts 2 verse 38. It's been said by people who should know. You know, who have had the power of God on them. That they would rather have the anointing on them for six seconds and they have all the money in the world given to them. That's how transforming and addicting to have the anointing of God and the power of God come on you for six seconds and to have all the money in all the world for a lifetime. To have that anointing come on you again. Woo! Nothing like it. Nothing like it. And oh, I, I don't have, again, I don't have time to tell you about some of the services I've been in. But it's, it's nothing like God has planned. The transformations, the power, the glory. My, my, my. 
My, my, my. my. We're getting, you know, if we'll just stay the course, church, don't be weary with these messages. Stay with, stay the course. We're going to get someplace. Hallelujah. Praise God. Okay. Amen. I'm, it's just vibrating on the inside of me. Wow. Okay. Uh, just to sum this up. Um, Peter's been preaching. They had the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, right? And the big crowd, and he's been preaching for a lot of verses now. And in the, well, it just says in verse 38, And Peter said to them, Repent. Notice that, right? Repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call, meaning into salvation. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Did you get that? The message translation of that says, Be saved or come out from this cursed and stupid culture. I think that's what it says. (laughs) This cursed and stupid culture. Wow. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now do you see that these are brand new babies. These are babies in Christ. I want you to notice the first thing it says these people did. I mean these, these are brand new babies. They have just been come into salvation. And they what? From that moment. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching the doctrine and fellowship. Notice that. Notice from the moment these 3,000 got born again, their fellowship changed. How they spent their days, where they went, changed. Boom. In a moment. See, it's not supposed to take long. Not supposed to take long. Right? You're really saved? Someone raises their hand. They, they dedicate. They really dedicate. They're back at church. They want to be around. They're hungry. John said it's a sign of spiritual sickness. That's a Cody kind of translation. If you don't want to be around church family, it's, it's, you're spiritually sick. You're not right. If there's something in you that doesn't want to be around church family. And you need to get that repaired. Praise the Lord. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So... You can see right there, there's just an instant change in the way they did life. They just didn't go back. And you don't owe it to your sinner friends to go back. Someone keeps calling you, you know, whatever. I sat those guys down. All my rent house party buddies. And I was a ringleader. I don't blame them. But they all sat down on the couch. And I said, I'm sorry, guys. I'm breaking the lease. I'm sorry, but God's told me to get out and go home. And I'm just not living this way I've lived anymore. 
goodbye. And my life really didn't gain any spiritual traction until I made, that's the first thing God dealt with me about. None of this that's come after would have come had I not severed wrong fellowship. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're making progress, right? You can stand up. Praise God. We're making progress. Everyone say, I'm making progress. The Holy Spirit is dealing with me.